Um, if you have your Bibles, which I hope you do, go to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. We're going to continue our study through Galatians this morning. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to be honest, I've been really loving uh, in my study time and my prep time for this series. Just um, the refreshness, the, 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 refresh, the refreshing, goodness. I can't talk this morning. Uh, the refreshing of God's word. It was just it just pouring over you. Um, and, and some of the things that, that we um, sometimes forget. And we just read it again. And it's just, it's good to see it. It's good to, to have that bolster our spirits. Amen? I just believe the season that we're in, the time that we're in, we need some refreshing. And we need um, some just... Good news, and that's the gospel. Amen. Amen. All right, I was just saying, do I need to go a different route here? Everybody's wake up. Here we go. All right. Um, but as we get, it's gonna, we're going to be in Galatians chapter one. And, and if you remember, we kicked off last week, and Paul writes in the text, and, and he um, he states that he was astonished, he was just perplexed, he was shocked that so many people had left the gospel for something different, that they had left. Um, their first love, in fact, they, they, they abandoned the gospel for something that looked like the gospel, but really had no real saving eff- efficacy. Um, he condemns pastors who teach this type of gospel, this works-based gospel, and actually uses some pretty strong language. He uses the word anathema, which means damned. He says if, if, you, if anyone teaches you a gospel other than one we've been teaching you, let them be accursed. Let them be anathema. And this week, Paul, he's going to give us some background on himself. He's going to talk about who he was prior to Christ and, and how Jesus directly taught him the gospel. How Jesus directly preached and taught him the gospel. And this is why he can call himself an apostle because he had a direct interaction with Jesus Christ himself. Like I said last week, if you see anybody on TV that give themselves the title of apostle, know that they are lying. Uh, that's not the truth. They, there's, we don't have apostles today. It's just, no. Run away from that. Uh, we're going to start in verse 11 in, in Galatians. If you... Uh, Trying to drop all my stuff here. We'll be in trouble then. Um, but yeah, verse 11 is where we'll start. It says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached to you by me was not man's gospel. So he's, he's reiterating again. Remember he told, he told him earlier, listen, the gospel that I'm giving you is not from me. But he's saying it again. He's reiterating. For I did not receive from any man this gospel. I, I didn't receive it from any human being whatsoever. I did not receive it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through revelation, uh, through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church, the church of God violently, and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age and among many of my people. So extremely zealous was I. For the traditions of my father. So we'll stop there. We'll keep going here in a minute. But I want us to see that in the, in the text here, Paul tells us, and he reiterates, the gospel that he's preaching did not come from any type of man. But rather, he got it directly from Jesus Christ, who is God. 
Verse 12, he continues this idea and says, No man has taught him this. He didn't receive, he didn't go to a a fancy seminary. He didn't go to some Ivy League college and get a degree in this. He didn't have a doctrine of divinity from, from some seminary. He actually had Jesus Christ himself directly teach him the gospel. Could you imagine that? Like, that's, that's amazing to have, to have Christ interact with him in person and teach him the gospel. Teach him the things of God. Wow. The God of the universe downloading the gospel into Paul's mind and heart. And then giving him his missionary journey that you're going to go teach the Gentiles. You're going to be my, you're going to be my instrument. And I will use you to teach the Gentiles and the nations about me. Wow. So in verse 13, we see Paul give his testimony, give the story of who he is. He says, for you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. Now, (laughs) you guys remember Paul before Jesus. Like We'll we'll look at it here in a minute in Acts. I'll take you guys over to Acts. But Paul before Christ was not really a nice guy. He wasn't a seeker. (laughs) He just wasn't. He was a guy that that, um, violently, I mean, he says that, I'm using his words, violently tried to destroy the church of God. Um, And I got to thinking of that. Like, who were you and I before Christ interceded on on our behalf? Before Christ came and redeemed and reconciled you, who were you before Christ? And I just, I think about that in my mind and the things that, that we have engaged in and done that God knew before the foundation of the world, but yet he still came and wooed you and drew you to himself. Isn't that amazing that the God of the universe would do that for you, for me? Like that's, I just, that blows my mind. But Paul, he persecuted the church. Go to, flip over to Acts chapter seven. Just, I want you to, we're going to go look at Acts seven for a minute. We'll come back to um, Galatians in a minute, but I want to just, I want to, give a little history lesson on Paul. And Acts chapter 7 sort of kind of sees the introduction of Paul. We see him here in a minute. But there was a, uh, there was a, there was a rumbling in the synagogue. And Stephen, who was a disciple, he was a, he was a follower of Jesus. He was a Christ follower. Stephen, um, he was a convert and he was a Christian. And he was in the midst of this synagogue worship service and he gets a little angry. Because they're, no, they're not preaching the gospel of Christ. They're teaching a, a, a works-based system that I, I, I can be good enough on my own. I don't need grace. I, I don't, they're teaching that we do things to appease God. We work our way into the presence of God. We do everything we can to work our way into the presence of God. And my good works are getting me into heaven. That's what they were teaching. And Stephen has this moment where he goes nuclear... In the church service. And I want you to look at starting in verse 51. 751. Like Stephen loses his mind. He starts just spouting off things. He says, you stiff-necked people. Uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit. And your fathers did so do. So do you. Your fathers did it so do you. So I want you to just. Imagine this. You're having your church service. And I'm pre- or there's somebody preaching in the room. 
And there's a gentleman who comes in and he just starts losing his mind in the middle of a church service that says, you stiff-necked, uncircumcised in heart and ears. What that means is you are unclean before God. When you hear uncircumcised, it means he's, you're unclean. So your heart is unclean and your ears are unclean. You're filthy, wretched, depraved individuals. And he just spouts this off. And then he goes, he takes it a little, he, t- he, goes, he digs a little deeper. Not only are you stiff-necked, but your daddy is too. <laughs> like he comes in, he's like, your fathers did the same as you. They were dirty. They were uncircumcised. They were filthy. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? So now he starts accusing. He's like, your fathers persecuted the legitimate prophets? And you killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one. So you persecuted the prophets and you killed people that were calling that Christ was coming. And then not only that, the final little dig, he says, (laughs) what? And whom you betrayed and murdered and you received the law and as it as delivered by angels and did not keep it and they said and he literally said you're the one who killed Jesus you killed the messiah i mean he literally goes through he goes which one of you and the prophets did not did your fathers not persecute and they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one whom you have betrayed and murdered so he literally comes in and says listen your fathers killed the prophets and you killed the messiah I mean, think about that. That's what Stephen does. And these people lose their mind in verse 20 or 54. When they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at Stephen. How many of you guys have ever been so mad you ground your teeth at something? Anybody? Okay, I'm just, don't look at me, honey. My wife's looking at me like... Pam, have you ever been so mad you ground your teeth at Sam? Okay, just checking. Just checking. Heather's never done that. Heather's, Heather loves you, Darren, so she would never do that. She's sweet. <laughs> but So they're, they're enraged at Stephen to the point where they're grinding their teeth at him. And full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven and says, What? I saw the glory of God. Jesus is standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man is standing with the right hand of God. Now, like that was the final straw. They're like, the guy you killed, I see him standing on the right hand of God. The Son of, the Son of Man is standing at the right hand of God. They go to a point where they just, they cry with loud voices and they stop their ears. So they, they don't want to hear it. They're just like, ah! They close their ears off and they scream and they rush at him and they grab him and they take him out and they stone him. And amidst this, we get the introduction of Paul. They said, and the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. So they're handing the coats of Saul, handing their coats to a guy named Saul so they can get a better you know, when, they, when they've got a big robe on, you can't get a good throw. You can't get a good baseball throw at Stephen's skull. So I got to take my jacket off so I can get a good, good, good throw. So they, Paul is standing there taking the jackets of these people and they just, they crush Stephen. They kill him. And then you go into chapter 8 and Paul approves of his execution. 
So not only was he helping by holding the jackets, he said, yeah, this is good. This is a good thing. This is good. He was, he was denouncing God. He was talking against God. So yeah, he deserved to die. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church of Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles, devout men, buried Stephen, and they made lamentations over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house by house and dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So we see in chapter 7 here, Stephen... It's a roller coaster of events for the church. Like this begins massive persecution in the church. Stephen literally tells the Jewish leadership that they're stiff-necked pagans who killed the Messiah. They get mad. They kill Stephen. And, and, and Paul is saying, this is a good thing. And Paul and the Jewish leadership, they grind their teeth and they get just angry to the point where they can't stand it. And here's why. You know why they got mad? Because the gospel offends sinful man. The gospel of Jesus Christ will offend sinful nature. Because sinful nature doesn't... How many guys love to be told you're wrong? Anybody here love to be told they're wrong? No. Stephen was like, listen, you're wrong here. Not only are you wrong, you're wicked. Like that, that, goes, against our, like that, that goes against the grain. Like, that doesn't go well. The truth of the gospel offends sinful men. And the reason you have so many big popular Bible teachers, and I use that term loosely, getting accolades and praises of men is because they're preaching a gospel that tells them what they want to hear. It's a selfish, narcissistic gospel that, hey, you're doing, man, you're doing good. It's awesome. I got in the car, I don't know, Tuesday. And we've got a free month of satellite radio in our truck right now. And Austin, just to irritate me, finds the Joel Osteen channel. <laughs> just, to, just to cause me a little bit. Like, uh, my heart rate's not high enough. Let's go ahead and get that. And he cr- like I sit down in the car and he cranks it. And I was like, I think you need to be grounded. <laughs> and it's just like, I'm listening for a second and I just got mad. Like, I ground my teeth. I got mad. Because, like, he's teaching this, hey, man, you can do whatever you want. It's all right. You can get it. God, God loves you. Hold your Bibles up real high because you don't need them. It's just, oh, it drives me insane. And the reason you've got all these big popular teachers on TV is because they're telling people what they want to hear. You want to have a fat bank account? You want to be healthy? You want to be prosperous? Follow me and send that seed in. You'll be fine. Of course you want to hear that. You hear that on TV and like, listen, man, I want to be healthy. I want to be prosperous. So if I do this, I can get this. This is a transactional works-based system. If I do something, I get something. That's not the gospel. The gospel is not those things. Man. That's the message of, of a false teacher. Sinful man does not want to hear the gospel. They want to be told what they're doing is good enough. And that's what they were doing in this day and age. As they were saying, what we're doing is good enough. I'm going to do certain things to appease God and get into his good standing. I'm going to, with my good works, I'm going to do what's necessary. 
My dad said not, not too long ago in a sermon, he said, the worst form of human wickedness is when human goodness becomes a substitute for the new birth in Christ. That'll preach. And that's why Stephen was killed. He told them that their goodness was worthless and that they killed the Messiah. And Paul's in the middle of all of this and he holds the coats of those who killed Stephen. And then Acts chapter 8 ramps up the persecution of the church. But I'll tell you this, when that happens, when that happens, many come to know and follow Christ. If you read through chapter 8, the gospel is preached. Yes, persecution comes, but man, that's when the church thrives. When the church comes to life is in the midst of persecution. When you start seeing people, the church persecuted, that's when things come to life. Man, I look at the church in China. There are more people who belong to Christ in China than the entire church in America. Why? Because there's persecution that's taking place. This is a bright time for us as a church. We are going to see the gospel spread like wildfire. I believe it. When it's dark out, that's when the church can and will shine the brightest. Men, and listen to me, this is the, this is the hope that I have, is that men and women are, are going to be saved during this season of our lives. And that in and of itself is better than anything else America could offer. Ever. And here's the thing that this might get me a little bit in trouble, but that's okay. The safety of the American dream can sometimes be an enemy to the Great Commission. The safety of the American dream can sometimes be an enemy to the Great Commission. And if through me being persecuted for my faith causes one person to come to know Christ, then by all means, let's get that thing started. Let's go. Like, I'm willing, ready, and able. If I need to start a prison ministry, I'll do it. Amen? And my wife is probably going, maybe not, honey, but yeah, okay. Like, if my testimony of how God saved me and redeemed me could be a part of the greater story of the gospel, man, like... That's amazing. That's what we need. That's what, that's what the church needs is we need men and women who have a testimony that God saved me. God redeemed me. And we point them back to the gospel. That, like now is the time when the church is going to be like, trust me. Like I, I know people, oh, Caleb, America's not that persecuted. We're on the fringes of it. Like it's not like China. I get it. But gospel-centered truth is being pushed against in the world in which we live like right now it's being pushed against if you stand for biblical christianity i'm not talking about cultural christianity if you stand for biblical christianity you are pushed against by the world and i can promise you that there we are going into a time when the church is going to be persecuted for standing for gospel-centered truths People have always wanted to live in the day. Oh man, I'd love to live in biblical times. Well, you and I are in it. Like, let's embrace that and let's run full, full headlong into this. And start to, and begin to count the blessings that God is going to unfold on us. Go back to Galatians chapter 1. In verse 14 we see... That, that Paul was advancing in Judaism. 
He says he was, he was advancing above everybody that was his own age, and he had all kinds of access. Um, he was in the upper echelons of, of Judaism. If you look in Acts chapter 9, he gets permission from the high priest and the seal of the high priest to be able to go persecute the church. Like you didn't get an audience with the high priest in these days. That wasn't something that just, oh, I'm going to go in and see Chuck. Hi, hey, what's up? Like you didn't do that. You couldn't just walk into the office of the high priest. That was something that was very difficult to do. But he had the clout and he had the collateral to be able to do that. He was in the upper echelons of the order. And he was allowed access into things, places, and people that most people were not allowed to go to. Because, yeah, like I said, when we see in in Acts 9, he, he has an audience with that high priest. Think about that. Everything that he had. Everything that he had, he quickly threw away for Christ. He gave all of that up. All the power, all the money, all the prestige, all the access, all everything. He said, oh. When he came to understand that he was wrong in his religion and he saw who Christ was truly. And he said, man, he had that interaction with Christ. He threw away the world for Christ. Like... He gave it all up. He went from being the who's who in the Jewish community to an enemy of the state. Like, think about it. He was popular. He He was wealthy. He had access. He was the who's who in Jerusalem. Everybody knew who Saul was. And he gave that up for Christ and became an enemy of the state. What are you and I giving up for the cause of Christ? What are you and I giving up for the cause of Christ? I really do think that standing for the gospel-centered truth is going to cost us. In fact, Luke chapter 14 gives us a very clear picture of what it will cost to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 14 verse 26 tells us, If anyone comes after me and does not hate his own father, mother, and wife, and children, and brothers, and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciples. For which one of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation and it's not able to finish it, all will begin to mock him and say, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not first sit down and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him and come, to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet far off, he will send a delegation that will ask for terms of peace. So therefore, if anyone of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Like, I want you to think about what was just said in this text. Like, this is an unconditional surrender. This isn't just about, my, oh, okay, I got to give up my house. I got to give up my, like, no, 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 no. God's not saying you got to give these things up to follow him. But if he calls on you, you better. If he puts his finger on something, you better get rid of it. He doesn't mean I have to hate my wife. 
It means that I love Christ so supremely that everything else that's in my life doesn't even compare. doesn't mean that I don't love my wife or my children or my father or my brothers. Man, that, that, that doesn't, that's not what that means. What that means is my love for Christ is supreme. This is bigger than material. This is bigger than just a, a family dynamic. It's a full, unconditional surrender of everything to Christ. This isn't the, the, new, the 2021 version of, I, sur- I, like, I surrender 10%. I surrender 10%. No. That's not the song. I surrender what? I surrender all. This is an unconditional surrender of everything to Christ. And if you're not willing to give up everything for Christ, then you are not fit to be calling yourself a disciple. Like this is the idea that Paul, he gave up everything. He gave up everything. And he, his, his luxury, his homes, his access, his power was gone in the world's terms. He got a whole new set of power. And he was willing to give it all up. He was willing to give every last ounce of it up. Now, I want you to see that the God goes on here. And when we, in verse 15 and 16, go to verse 15 and 16. <clears throat> but when he who had set me apart before I was born... And who called me to his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone else, nor did I go to the Jerusalem with those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and reunited uh, and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem and visited um, Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none other except for James, Jesus' brother. In what I am writing you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Sicilia, and I was still unknown in person in the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing of what was going on of he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. Like, this is the power of who God is. God set Paul apart before the foundation of the world that he was going to do God's purposes and God's will. God knew Paul. He knew every evil act and every wicked, depraved thing that Paul would ever do. And still the scripture says it pleased God to reveal the son to him. Like, think about that in terms of your own life. Like when you read that, it causes in me, it stirs up an affection in my heart and an excitement in my heart that if God was pleased to reveal Christ to Paul, a scoundrel, a murderer, and a religious idolater, it pleased the Father to reveal the Son to him, man, there's good hope for all of us in the room, amen? I know we're Baptists, but that should cause a little bit of excitement. That, That should cause us to get excited. That God was pleased to reveal him to Paul and to redeem him and to forgive and to cleanse him. Think about that. 
We talked about two weeks ago on a Sunday evening that God knew us before the foundation of the world and he chose us in himself. That should, like I said, stir up our affections for the Lord Jesus Christ, that he knows us. Everything about us, every dark corner crevice that nobody else in the room knows about, Jesus knows about. And because Jesus knows it, it's revealed. And he still loves us and redeems us and wants us anyways. Like, that it pleased the Father to to reveal the Son to you. That it brought a smile to God's face when you were redeemed. That in and of itself should cause us to want to surrender all to Christ. That in and of itself should want us or should cause in us to want to surrender everything to Christ and no longer hold any grudges, be angry, any secret sins. It should be we should be willing, ready and able to confess, repent and believe like that should be enough for us to surrender all to Christ Jesus. Amen. Verse 17 through 21 tells us that he didn't immediately go back to Jerusalem to join the others and live with the apostles. He didn't do that immediately, except for Jesus' brother. And there was a couple of guys in there. He went to, he went to go see Cephas and remain there for 50, two weeks. He was with Cephas for two weeks, and then he went and spent the rest of the time with Jesus' brother. Like, I want you to think about that. Living with Jesus' brother, the stories that they got told, the things that they talked about. Like that's, that's, that's big stuff. To hang out with James, Jesus' brother. Wow. Think about those conversations. And he went other places. He went to Arabia and went to Damascus. And, and being taught and prepared for ministry by God himself during those years, God himself trains and teaches Paul. And he lands in Damascus and he teaches there for a season. Now, as we finish out chapter 1, not everyone knew who Paul was. But there were reports of what was happening in his life. Not everybody knows who you are. But we'll see throughout the text where people don't know who Paul is, but they hear about his faith. They hear about what he's doing for the Lord Jesus Christ. What are we as a church doing for the Lord Jesus Christ? What are we doing as a church to stand firm for the gospel? What are we doing to promote life? What are we doing? What are we doing? What are we we a part of? Verse 23 says, they only were hearing it said, he used to persecute us, and now he's preaching the faith of the the thing that he once tried to destroy. And what happens? As a result, in verse 24, they glorified God because of him. They glorified God because of what Paul was doing. I want people to to glorify God because of what First Baptist Church in Cedarville, Kansas is doing. Amen? Like that should be our heart's desire is that God's glorified through this place. That God is pleased with what we do here. That we're, that we're not concerned with what men think. As we said last week in, in Galatians chapter 1, the first part of verse 10, he says, I'm not seeking the approval of man. I am trying to please man. No, I'm not trying to please man. I'm trying to please the Lord Jesus Christ because if I wasn't pleasing him, I wouldn't be his servant. Like this should be our heart's desire is that we would long to pursue and and promote Christ 
and his missions and his agenda. I love that this week we are celebrating or we are, as, as somebody put in the Baptist Messenger this week, that we're observing um, Pro-Life Sunday. I'm going to tell you guys I'm not pro-life. I'm an abolitionist. I want to see abortion eradicated off the face of the planet. If we knew today, if we knew this very moment that there was a place where they were taking human beings and they were cutting them to pieces that were alive, no one would be sitting here going, you know what, we probably ought to just sing louder. We would be at that place and we would try to get them to stop. We have bitten the lie. We have bitten the apple of lies that says that what's in a woman's uterus is just a clump of cells. If they just study the Bible, Psalms 139 tells us that God formed and put together babies in their mother's womb and there is life at conception. Not a heartbeat conception and it's time that we as the church stand against the evil of abortion it is it's ungodly and is wicked and i'm telling you that is the primary reason america is being judged because we've killed millions upon millions upon millions of small innocent babies and we just turn our eyes or our noses up at it and just ignore it no, we cannot ignore this any longer. It needs to be addressed. It needs to be, the elephant in the room needs to be addressed. We need to, know, we need to move from being pro-life and we need to move to abolitionists. Like we need to cut this thing off and finish it. Well, well Caleb, people are still going to get it. Okay. People are, I get it. People are still murdering people even though it's illegal, but it's still illegal. Like, I can't walk in here with my pistol and shoot Sam in the face and everybody like, well, not that big of a deal. It was his right. What? No, they're going to handcuff me and put me in prison. We need to take the same stance on abortion. I know that that is not a popular stance in the world in which we live right now, but that's where your pastor lands. And it's time for us to stand against this and eventually, I think science is going to be on the Bible side of this. We've got enough information that, man, that thing is not just a little clump of cells. We see hands and feet and heartbeats and movements. And we see all these things. We've got all the technology there. But, man, we're willingly ignorant, as the scripture says, to these things. I had a friend of mine, Brett Baggett. He's going to be here uh, next month uh, for our Winter Bible Conference. And Brett was standing outside one of the abortion mills in Tulsa and the woman looked at him and she screamed back are you willing to foster are you willing to adopt and what she didn't know is he had the paperwork ready like I'm willing I got the legal paperwork ready to adopt foster whatever she needed to make sure that baby lived and she goes I don't believe you I don't care I'm going to kill this thing because I want to be able to do what I want to do that's the majority of people that are going into abortion mills that they are doing this because they want to. They want to. 
There's options. There's options. And I'm telling you, well, Caleb, is there... You're being really hard. What about the mom? What about people that have had abortions? There's grace. There is opportunity for you to find forgiveness and grace in Jesus Christ. That is a sin that is not too far. Jesus can still forgive and still reconcile and still redeem. Amen? So don't hear me say, well, God, God's going to kill them all, those women. No, God has grace for those women. But I'm telling you, there needs to be a firm stance against this. In any other circumstance, no one in this place would be okay with people killing people the way they do. We just did, we wouldn't. If we knew the candle rock was killing those people in there, there would be a line of us with pitchforks and knives saying, no, 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 we're not doing this. Shut this thing down. Amen? That, we would. That's my stance is those things need to be shut down. Life is precious and the enemy knows that life is precious to Jesus. And he wants to destroy life. He has come to kill, steal, and destroy. And he's doing that through these ridiculous places called Planned Parenthood. He's doing that. He's destroying life. And there needs to be a stand against these things. We, as the church, need to stand for righteousness in these places. I'm not saying be mean. I'm not saying be out there calling names. Plead for the life of the unborn. Be willing to help mothers. If, there is a, if there's a family that's in need, man, we need to give them the resources to be able to make it. If they're worried about, oh, I can't afford it, the church needs to step up and say, I'm willing to take it. We'll take that baby. We'll take it. We'll take care of you. We'll take care of the family. We'll do whatever we can to help you. Man, if the church was being the church, I think that this would disappear. But here's the thing. The church is being the church. I know, that, I know churches personally that are willing to go bankrupt to save babies. And I would be the same way. I, as your pastor, would be willing to bankrupt this place in, a, in order to save babies. I would, I'd be willing to give my salary up if we could save babies. Because it's that important. Amen? We need to stand for life. We need to stand for God's truth and God's righteousness. And because when we do that, that's when things are going to change. We're going to move from a, a, a complacency in the world and we're going to see the things of God come to life. That's what we need, amen? Like, let's, like God knew us and he saved us and he redeemed us. We've got an obligation. As Paul said in Romans chapter 1, we have an obligation to preach the gospel. Preach the gospel of those that are perishing. And that's what we need to do. Amen? Let's stand together. Glad you're here this morning. Glad that we are able to sing together. Andy, thank you for playing this morning. Um, appreciate you being here. Um, what, Sister Walida, would you dismiss us in prayer this morning?